Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by NCW, a local independent risk management agency. I have a number of friends who work at NCW, but here's one of the things that impresses me most about this company. They've been in business in Amarillo for 95 years. That makes NCW one of the oldest still operating businesses in the city. They provide a full range of risk management strategies and solutions, including business insurance, group benefits, and personal lines. So to learn more, visit ncwriskmanagement.com or call 806-376-6301. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I also want to give a podcast shout out to Rockwood Furniture, located on I-27 between Amarillo and Canyon and online at rockwoodfurnitureco.com. And to Sabra Kofer Realtor. You can find her online at livingtexasstyle.com. Today's guest is Lori Crawford. If you've lived in Amarillo for a while, you probably know Lori's name and you definitely know her voice. Until 2018 or so, she spent 20 years as an on-air radio personality. You would have heard her on Cat Country at 101.9 KATP, or on in later years at Mix 94.1 KMXJ. The radio world has changed a ton over the past couple decades. And when Lori's on-air career ended, she found her way into the nonprofit world. She now serves as the resource development director for Big Brothers Big Sisters of the Texas Panhandle. And she's also ended up back in broadcasting part-time as an on-air personality for KGNC's The Chat every weekday morning. Now, those are very diverse careers, nonprofit and radio, which made this a fun conversation. So here's Lori Crawford. Lori Crawford, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Jason. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to have you. I, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I, I want to start with you the same way I start with all of my guests. Okay. And that's just to ask, how'd you end up here in the Amarillo area in the first place? Well, uh, I grew up in Hereford. Okay. You know, I was born and raised in Hereford, and I just kind of made my way up the road uh, through college in Canyon, and then I was like, okay, it's time to move to Amarillo, and after college, called Amarillo my home, and I've been here ever since. Did, like, was was that always a plan, was to graduate and get out of Hereford? Oh, yeah. And, okay. <laughs> you know, it, it was a great little town to grow up in, but I, that's not somewhere I wanted to, to stay, you know. I didn't get very far from it, but right. I just, I didn't want to want to live in Hereford in my adult life. How did your family end up there? Wow. Um, you know, my grandparents uh, were from around, part of them were from around um, the Weatherford area mm -hmm. and Jacksboro and things like that. And, you know, my granddad met my grandmother and they followed the work. So that's how they ended up here. And then my mom's parents were out of Hell Center and then somehow ended up in Hereford, where my okay. mom and dad met. And <laughs> was that, did you grow up in like an agricultural family? I mean, was that well, you part know, of the history? Or? Part of my my grandparents, you know, can they owned a little small area. They had a you know a farm kind of thing. It wasn't a huge farm, but they raised a few cows here and there. They had their own chickens, their own garden. Okay, they had you know yard full of every fruit tree you can imagine, grapevines. So my grandmother was a canner and. And, you know, she worked the gardens, you know, and on the side to make extra money, she she made cakes. Oh, wow. She was a cake decorator and a baker, and she made extra money there. And my granddad was a, a truck driver. He hauled hay most of his life. Okay. And 
You know, they just lived off their land pretty much. I'm always curious when I talk to guests who grew up in some of the smaller towns around the Panhandle, kind of what their perspective was on Amarillo mm -hmm. as a kid. Like, what? How did you view it back then? Oh my gosh! You know, that's where we got to come. That was that was a fun trip. Oh, we're going to Amarillo, and it was. Well, can we go here or can we go here? And nine times out of 10 during the summer, it's like, are we going to Wonderland? Yeah. <laughs> so, and that was the highlight, you know, we didn't have a movie theater. Um, I remember as a young, young girl, Hartford had a movie theater and then it went away. Okay. So, you know, as, you know. That's uh, a pretty big town to not have a movie theater, right. at least for that amount of time. I mean, so, you know, as elementary, middle school, no theater, you know, high school, still no theater. And so we always just you know, make trips to Amarillo to see new movies. And it was always just kind of a, a special trip when we came up here. Or at the time, we needed something that we couldn't get in Hereford. We ran up to the Canyon Walmart, okay. <laughs> where the annex is yeah, now, exactly. you know. So, or if we had to go back to school shopping, it was always, you know, Westgate Mall. So, so you ended up going to college at WT? Yes, okay. WT. Was that always the plan? Well, yeah, for the most part. I, I was one of those that never wanted to get too too far from home, you know. I don't know. I don't know if it was just fear of the unknown, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah, but, uh, when I graduated high school, my whole plan was to go to WT and be a music major, become a band director. And okay. <laughs> that did not happen. I was going to say, I don't <laughs> think that's, that was part of your career, but like, tell me, tell me then what happened? What, what did you end up doing? Well, you know, by the time I graduated, I was, I was sick of music and I was sick of band and, you know, I'd already planned out, got classes ready. And then, Went to a, a freshman orientation type thing a few months before I graduated. I'd already been accepted to WT and they started talking about this radio station on campus called KWTS. And I'm like, well, that sounds interesting and that sounds fun. Huh. So I just switched over to radio classes right. okay. and, <laughs> and, and journalism classes. And I thought, you know what, this may be, be the way to go. And if I changed my mind, I just, I can't see myself doing, you know, music all my life, at least in a form of an instrument and in teaching music. Now, playing music, hey, still music. Did, once you started thinking in terms of journalism, like, were you, were you mostly drawn toward radio or did it go toward other forms of broadcast? I mean, what, what were you looking at? At the time, it was, it was strictly radio. I mean, okay. I, I had to take all the classes that involved, you know, newspaper journalism and I did not like those. I mean, I write, but I write the way I talk, and yeah. that's not acceptable. As you yeah. know, that's not acceptable. It's a acceptable. different world. It's a totally different world, and and I was like, okay, I know I have to take these classes, but I do not like them. And the TV stuff was fun, but I knew I never really wanted to be on camera, which ironically, this whole world is gone to. Yeah, to, every radio host is on camera. Yeah, exactly, much now. exactly. Yeah, well, so. I mean, talking about how that world has changed, give people an idea timeframe-wise when you were at WT learning uh, radio. Uh, when I first started at KWTS was my, my freshman year in college. I started in the fall of 95. Okay. And then um, I graduated in the fall of 98 because, you know, stupid me thought, hey, I want to get out and be an adult. So I got through college just through as fast. fast as I could. And that, I mean, that was, that was a big time. Radio was big oh, yeah. back then. Um, what did you end up doing after graduation? Well, funny thing is, is before I even graduated, a year before I graduated, <laughs> this is where my radio career actually began because, you know, being in the classes and 
uh, taking all those and being on air at KWTS, you, there's a bug for it. And, and you, it gets into your blood and you're like, I want to do this. I want to do this. And I remember Mary Lynn Haley, uh, Halley, pardon me, um, came and did a talk to one of our classes. Mm-hmm. And I remember just cornering her going, how do I get in radio? How do I get in radio? And, you know, she talked to me, this is what you do. This is what you do. So I sent out all my, my air checks and tapes at the time. Yeah. God, I'm dating myself. Yep. <laughs> I remember that. And I remember I got a call from, um, it was Cat Country 101.9 at the time. They're like, hey, we need somebody to uh, to cover a shift. And at the time it was overnights. And, and so I had gotten my first gig in radio in 1997. Okay, so. before you even were officially a graduate. Exactly, yeah. So is a career in radio, you know, like, like the one that you had, mm-hmm. um, how big of a role does that college experience play? It just depends. Cause I know a lot of people who, who do go through, um, the broadcasting department and whatnot. Half of the people I graduated with and went to school with at that time, you know, they've got that broadcasting degree, but most of them are not in broadcasting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, I mean, the world is completely different oh, broadcasting it is. wise it is. from how it was then, yeah. but, and, and there are a lot of people in radio who didn't have that degree of education yeah. either. I mean, it's, it's not always necessary. And, and the funny thing is, and I don't think people realize it, that unless you're into major market radio and uh, syndicated radio and things like that, there's really no money in radio. Yeah. And yeah. that's why a lot of people get out of the business because they can make money doing other things and make way more money than, than living the radio DJ dream. <laughs> and I, I know that, number one, the radio world is very different now mm-hmm. from what it was. Yes. Uh, you're still you're still involved in it to a degree. Um, so I don't want to dwell too much on it, but like like tell me a little bit about what your career looked like. You know, as you got that first gig. I mean, how did it how did it grow well, from there? Uh, when I got that first gig, I kept that first gig until 2018. But it was funny because it was a standalone station at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's back off a of winter circle which if people remember Club Fred, that big slide, that yep. used to, it's kind of back by where that used to be. <laughs> Radio stations are never these super no. impressive looking things no. from the outside. Anyway. No, not at all. And it, it, it's a, I think it's an IV place now. Yeah. <laughs> and it was huge, huge studio, which most studios, um, they're not very big, but it was huge. It was the size of a living room and it was, it was awesome. But I, when I started there, um, I worked there until that company was bought out by Clear Channel, which is iHeartRadio these days. And then I moved over uh, to there and I was doing a cat country. And then that's when I started with Mix 94.1 as okay. well. So, and I was doing double duty. I was doing, a sh- you know, on air for cat country and I was on air for Mix 94.1 and, you know, buy out from this company to that company and, and whatnot. So I eventually cat country went away and became something totally different. And, right. And uh, I, my focus became on on Mix 94.1 for ever, from about 2001 to 2018. Tell people who, you know, there's, there are people in media, mm-hmm. I think, who have a real good idea of like how your job changed. Mm-hmm. But most people are just listeners. And maybe, you know, if you're sitting in your car listening to the radio, you can't tell a lot of difference. But like there were huge changes in the yeah. way just the nuts and bolts of how radio worked, you know, from, from your time. So tell people like some of the, some of the progressions you saw and the technology, how the business worked, all that stuff. Well, uh, when I first started, um, a lot of our music and commercials and things were in things called carts, right? which of course looked like 
giant eight tracks. They are physical pieces that you would stick into a slot. Into a machine, and if it wasn't cued correctly or it didn't have a particular tone on it, it would just keep playing. Um, So that was kind of the beginning stuff. And then it all kind of moved to CD. And, you know, everything was on CD, and you'd be plopping CDs into this machine and queuing this up, and everything had to be ready to hit buttons. And then computers started running these big, huge jukebox machines that would hold, like, 700 to 900, even 1,000 CDs, and it would just, like, pick them like a jukebox um, off a particular computer program. And then that moved on to everything was on computers, and it was all digital. So no more CDs, no more records, no more cards. It's all contained in just a a computer and on a server. Which, you know, the the idea of a disc jockey Mm -hmm. made sense because you actually are juggling discs or you're juggling carts or you're, you know, spinning records um, to somebody who's, you know, just clicking on a computer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that's a big change. Did it change for you, like in terms of the fulfillment and the job that you were doing as a host, you know, did did that feel like a big change other than the technology and how that worked? Well, it, time, the way time was, because when you're having to plop CDs and carts and stuff, you know, you're always busy. And, you know. It's almost a physical job. I yeah. Mean, a- yes. And then once everything was on computer, you're, you're still doing what you do best, but you're doing other things. You know, like maybe, oh, I've got a commercial to cut. Well, in between these songs, I'm going to, you know, record a commercial here right. and then edit it down. You know, but you know, we you can still take phone calls, and and you're still live on the air, and you're still just enjoying and being who you are, and sharing your personality, and doing the contest, and you know, you know, some places they allowed you to play requests, some places don't, mm-hmm. but you know, it just depends on on the company and on the radio station, and on the program director. So, and there was also a shift in the importance of having an actual local person in a local yes. studio playing music over the local channel. And, and sometimes that even changed. And I wonder, you know, as, as you saw that start to happen, if you started to think, okay, radio is changing oh, yeah. in a, a really kind of scary way, you know, for somebody like you. As radio became more corporate, you know, because, you know, a lot of times radio stations used to be owned individually and by individuals and then... By somebody who lived here. Yes. You know, you know I, I remember like KMML, if anybody remembers that, Mel Tillis used to own that right. radio station. So I'm just like, wow. And when I started working for Cat Country 101.9, uh, Steve Cropper, best known for, you know, he's a Blues Brothers band, the bassist in the Blues Brothers band and wrote several several great songs. He owned the station at the time. Okay. So, and then when the big corporate companies came in and started buying up radio stations and blocks, you know, that's kind of when the mom and pop radio ended. Was was there an element of it that, you know, as as you saw the industry changing, um, it wasn't the same industry, you know, 2018 as it was when you entered it in, right. in the late 90s. I mean, was was that... Did you start to see kind of the writing on the wall and think, ooh, I may not be doing this for the rest of my life? You know, you do, because okay. that just means um, you're that much more disposable. Okay. When it comes to working in radio, as you know, uh, most morning shows aren't, aren't local in this in, in town. They're, they're bigger morning shows mm-hmm. uh, in bigger cities, you know, across the U.S. And it, it became this this thing where anybody could be anywhere at any time. Right. And, and it may not be, seem like it may not sound that way even to the listener. Yes. But but sometimes, yeah, yeah your sometimes. your DJ is not in Amarillo. Yeah. But when it comes to places like Amarillo, a, a lot of you know they want to keep it local. They want that local person there. They want that person who grew up here, and 
and knows the market. But, you know, sometimes when the economy, you know, they start, they have to, you know, save money like everything and, you know, people lose their jobs. So, so tell, tell me what happened once you began to, to think about transitioning out of full-time radio. Well, honestly, uh, I, I was one of those victims of okay. <laughs> the economy of the and, cost cutting. and the cost cutting. And, and let me tell you, that was the shock of my life. Cause I, I had done that for yeah, 21 years, you know, kind of been with the same, same place for that long, yeah. you know, most of my adult life. So it was a shock to my system. And Listeners knew you, they knew your yes. voice. And, and it was heartbreaking. And I just, you know, uh, <laughs> I remember talking to, to Beth Duke one time after it all happened. And I love that lady. She's so wonderful. Former podcast guest. Yes. Um, she's like, Lori, it's like a death. You have to mourn it. I was, I never thought of it that way. You know, and I was like, I'm in mourning, but I, I knew I needed a job. I couldn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a single mom and I'm freaking out. And <laughs> I was like, okay. So I just started looking for things. And, and it was so funny because um, I noticed uh, that Big Brothers Big Sisters was hiring for uh, what they call a match support specialist. And I thought, hey, that looks like fun. I bet you I could do something like that. Totally different than you know, so put my application in, got called in for an interview. And halfway through the interview, I'm like, this is not the job I <laughs> I applied for because they're talking marketing and <laughs> fundraising. And I'm like, I was like, I was like, OK, OK. And uh, that's kind of how I got into that that whole thing. So <laughs> was I mean, was there anything about your background in radio? I mean, you had you had cut ads, no. you had worked on all of that. There's a marketing element mm-hmm. to being a a, a oh, voice on the radio. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're selling the music, you're selling an experience. So did you know, it feel like a fit once you got into it? It did because uh, along with radio, cause in radio, you never just, you're never just a radio personality. Right. You wear like 50 different hats and you know, most of my radio career, I also handled most of the events, Okay. you know, the planning of the events, the putting them on things like that. So I was like, okay, I can do events, you know, and we got thrown into the whole digital world from, from the start. You know, people, nah, nah, it's not going to, I'm like, mm, mm, mm. we have to do everything. We, yeah. you know, social media, the Facebooks, the MySpace is back in the day. Right. And, you know, now it's TikTok. And I'm like, too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, we have to be on webcams now. What's going on? I got the radio to not have my face on camera. <laughs> so it, it's an ever changing world. So, you know, you learn that. I, you know, learn how to, you know, mess with websites and, you know, just figure things out from scratch like that. So it just... before we talk about what you started doing with Big Brothers, mm-hmm. Big Sisters, I, one thing that I, I guess maybe I should have expected, but but has been surprising to me having this podcast is that people hear my voice and they sort of feel like they know me, mm-hmm. you know, because they're listening to me every week. Um, I don't necessarily know them. And so did did you encounter that sort of thing where like you would meet people you know, out in the real world yes. and they like, you absolutely know your voice. They feel like they know you because mm-hmm. they've heard you every day and you just, you don't know them. And, and, and it's a, it's a weird relationship that builds between a listener and a voice like that. Well, it's so crazy because complete strangers would walk up and ask me about my kid because, you know, being a radio person, you try to open up your world and share mm-hmm. your life with people. And so, you know, they, 
they were there when, when I was pregnant, they were there when I had my kid, they were along from the stories. Oh my gosh, he got into the decedent again, or he got into this or he got into that. And so it was always like, wow, how's he doing? How's he doing? I'm like, he's great. And I'm, I'm smiling, acting like that, you know, because sometimes people walk up to you and like, and they act like they know you and you're like, Okay, and you're just going yeah. through your head going, where have I met you before? Do I know you? And, <laughs> and it, it is a very real relationship yes. from their side, mm-hmm. but it's it's really one-sided because obviously you don't see people on the right. other side of the microphone from from you. And that's, is that something that it, it felt natural to you or did it take some getting used to? You know, it did feel natural because I, I know I'm out there sharing and when they, people, you know, interact back, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. And, it, and your listeners become part of your family too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the creepy ones that <laughs> you get the weird, creepy letters or the weird, creepy emails yeah. or, or things like that. And then some of them, you know, uh, there's a ton of prison mail, too. Well, okay. <laughs> I can see that. And every now and then you'll get creepy stalker people. But, you know, overall, it's good. It's happy. And, you know, it's it's a way to share share your life and in, in the world with somebody else. And they'll call and tell you their stories, too. And, and sometimes you get a heartbreaking story. Other times you're like, oh, my gosh, I went through the same thing. So tell me about then the transition into the nonprofit world from the radio world. That's those are those are not the same kinds of, of workplaces. But uh, tell me how that went. Uh, well, the one thing I noticed about it, it was so much slower because I was used to a, a fast pace, 90 to nothing kind of world right. going, going, going. There well, times- you thought in like three and a half minutes at a time. I mean, yes. What, when's the next music break? Yes. And there was always something going on. And, you know, some days I'd work seven days a week and, it, you know, that it's an exhausting job and you put a lot of time in it. This is a more slower pace. So I get my stuff done and get everything done I needed to for the day. And then I've got like six hours left. <laughs> I'm like, uh, what do I, I, I should be doing something. And <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know about this but so yeah and the thing is in radio I was also involved with a, a lot of nonprofits throughout throughout my career serving on board of directors and serving on committees and and being a part of several nonprofits in town so you know it felt like a a good transition from that world to this one but uh, yeah it's totally different tell me so, what you like about big brothers big sisters i love their mission and how they are able to help kids here in our area and in kind of a different way because you have your different nonprofits, those that, that feed people, those that, you know, take care of the needs of, of kids other than uh, like food and school and things like that and making sure, you know, they have families. But this one, um, what Big Brothers Big Sisters, they take care of the child when that child needs somebody else in their life. Okay. You know, that extra cheerleader in their life. And and I love that because that can make all the difference in the world to a kid. And it can put them on a totally different path in life from where, you know, they possibly could have ended up. And as a parent, you know, I'm I'm sure you know this. I know this, that sometimes a kid needs an outside voice. Yes. An adult voice that's not mom or dad's Mm -hmm. voice. Like it, it takes... Sometimes it carries a little bit of, yeah. of weight, I think, that they need. Yeah, you know, being a single mom, my my son's uh, father was never in the picture, and, and he's a high-functioning autism okay. as well. So, you know, I've always like, oh, this kid needs somebody else in his life. He needs somebody else in his life. But, uh, you know, he's kind of aged out from, from our age group for the program. So, um, you know, I never really thought about it 
you know, as he was growing up. It didn't click. Hey, why don't you check out Big Brothers Big Sisters? I mean, everybody seems to know about the program. Yeah, it's got really high name recognition. Yes, but they don't know exactly what it does. Okay. Well, so, tell, tell listeners then what it does. What it does is we match children from the ages of 6 to 14 with adult mentors who have things in common. Like maybe they went through something in their childhood that this other child is going through. Okay. Um, and, and we match these kids together so they can have that extra cheerleader in their life. Because a lot of, a lot of the kids that come to us do come from single parent families, or they come from families uh, with low income and they come from families whose parents are in jail or they're being raised by grandma, grandpa right. or an aunt or uncle. And uh, sometimes they have multiple siblings and, and, you know, uh, kudos. I have one child and I, I think kudos to all those single mamas out there who have, have multiple kids because I don't know how you do it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's tough and I, I've got my one, but, um, so Sometimes I'll, these kids, you know, start going down the wrong path or they're not doing well in school or there's just reasons behind it. And when we're able to pair them up, it, it seems almost life changing. And it's not just life changing for that child. It's life changing for the adult as well. Mm -hmm. You know, and one of the things that, that I think is is really interesting about your program is that, you know, there, there are a lot of good nonprofits, as you said, a lot of them have volunteer opportunities, mm -hmm. a lot of places to get involved. Um, but, but like with big brothers, big sisters, it's, it's a deeper commitment yes. because you don't want to just pop in one weekend and mentor a child for 24 hours and then leave, you yes. know, it, it, it's an investment in that kid's yeah, life because these kids already have people in and out of their lives. Yeah. You know, and it's a year we ask for a year commitment from all of our volunteers. And I know that scares people. And the thing is, is it's not a whole lot of time that we ask you to spend with a child. It's anywhere from three to six hours a month. You know, that could be an hour a week or two hours every other week or maybe just one Saturday a month that you're spending together, but you're still kind of keep in touch through text and whatnot. Right. And it's not about, you know, the money you spend because people think, oh, I don't have the money to do. We don't ask you to out and spend money. Don't You don't go take them to Wonderland Synergy every because they'll get used to that. No, we're yeah. talking about one-on-one -on -one time, talking about maybe their school week or throwing a football out in the park or baking a cake or, or things like that. Things that you love. And we don't just, uh, you know, we've got a waiting list right now of over 20 kids. And it's crazy. Just needing to be matched up just with Just needing to match up with somebody. And we don't just, it's not first come, first serve. We match these kids with somebody specific to them. Okay. Say you've got somebody out there who likes, who maybe is a mechanic and likes to fish. And, you know, maybe um, had a family member that used drugs when they were little. Well, we kind of look for a child to match them with that has those similar issues that likes to fish, that likes to tinker with stuff, that has a, a family member or a parent that's, you know, um, has been on drugs or, you know, has been through rehab and things like that. And then we'll match them up with that person. But it's a process to it. It's not like you're like, oh, yeah, y'all be perfect. Go, go hang yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's a security element to yes, it. Yes, there uh, is. Some background checks, I imagine. Um, you know, our, our bigs meet the parents before they even meet the kids. And if the parent's like, I think this is going to work, then they bring the child in and they meet first up. And then the child gets, okay, you think this is going to work? And then it goes from there. So it could be anywhere from two weeks to six weeks before, you know, we get our matches put together. Tell me who you're looking for in terms of the bigs. Like, is, is it, is it typically somebody within a certain age range? Are you looking for somebody that has a particular well, amount of time? I mean, what? Well, right now, I mean, age wise, you've got to be over the age of 18 to, to, to be a big, 
You could be 118 as long as you can get around and, yeah. and, and provide a vehicle. Then, you know, we do look for retirees okay. to, to be bigs as well because they've got a different kind of wisdom they can impart on, on a child, you know. But the biggest thing we need and the biggest type of mentors we need now are men. Hmm. Men are less likely to volunteer to do something like that. Okay. But why is that? I think it's just, um, I don't know. Women are more likely to volunteer to be mentors rather than men because children are involved. Okay. And, and time commitment. And I think sometimes, and it, it's not just, you know, with our particular agency, it's, it's kind of across the board when it comes to, to mentoring things like that, or they don't think they'd be good at it yeah. or, you know, oh, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not perfect. You don't have to be perfect. In fact, we don't want you to be perfect. I I would think a lot of the job for a kid, especially for a kid who's had, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe a single parent or has adults popping in and out of their lives, like just showing up on a regular basis is, is influential Mm -hmm. enough. Like, like that's meaningful to have a familiar person Mm -hmm. that you can rely on to be there. Absolutely. And, um, you know, some of these relationships, they build lifelong relationships out of this. It's not, it just doesn't end when they turn 18. When they turn 18, they age out of the program. Sure. But a lot of... That doesn't mean they age out of a relationship. Right. That, that doesn't have. mean that they age out of a relationship. They, that relationship can last last a lifetime. In fact, um, it was so funny. Back in April, our executive director uh, got a phone call, and it was from this man saying, hey, I'm doing this this big event. Uh, I want to get tickets because I used to be a little. She's like, oh, yeah. He goes, yeah. Um my big was, and, and then said his name, well, it was her husband. Oh, wow. And, and she was like, wait a minute, this is you? And he's like, she's like, oh, my gosh. So after, you know, 40 years, I think, since they were bigs, we were able to reconnect them. Wow. And they've talked every week since. You know, when he's in town, they get together. It's like that, that match never stopped once hmm. they were able to reconnect. So oh, that's, that's crazy how that happens. It is. I, I wonder if... You know, having interacted with the people of Amarillo mm-hmm. as a radio host in all the varieties of ways that you do that, and now interacting as somebody representing a nonprofit, you're looking for funding, you're doing mm-hmm. events, you're trying to to get bigs involved. Like, what have you learned about the people who live here? What What are some of the the takeaways you have from that? You know, it, it's funny. Fundraising is hard. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how hard. I mean, I've been a part of fundraisers, you know, but never like this. Mm-hmm. It's difficult because Amarillo is one of the best places when it comes to giving hearts and servants hearts and people give, but they have their one specific place they love to get right. and they fall in love with it. And it's like, nope, that, that's where all my money's going. And it's great that they're able to do that. But my gosh, it, it's just a, it's a difficult situation when it comes to fundraising and, and, and raising money for an organization. So, you know, I've been doing my best trying to kind of, you know, back in the day, I remember when I was little, they used to have Waiting Child on one of the TV stations, sure, yeah. you know, with Steve Myers and so-and-so is waiting. And, you know, I was like, oh, you see this cute little kid. Yes. So everybody, everybody knows, but you know, so it's just one of those things to kind of give it a rebirth and say, Hey, we're still here. And these kids need, I mean, especially now more than ever, you know, a lot of these, we got to get them on the right path. Right. And the, the fundraising aspect of that is, 
is always interesting to me because there are so many great nonprofits mm-hmm. in this area doing incredible work. Uh, but they're all, you know, they're all drawing from the same pool yes. of generosity. And what that does is that puts like nonprofits in competition with other nonprofits. And like, you don't, you don't want that. You don't want a dollar that's, you know, a, a dollar given to big brothers, big sisters is taken away from some other right. worthy thing. And you but, don't want that. No. But like that, I mean, that, that is a position that you, you have to go out and, and find your donors. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I, as it seems like there could be better ways <laughs> To do that in a city the size of ours, but and the, we haven't figured it out yet. And the thing know. is, is Amarillo, the city of our size, we have so many nonprofits. I know. <laughs> it's like a new one's out there every single day. And and that is so great because there, that just means there's there's people out there that need something specific. And, and there's a need for, for that service as well. So, But um, the, the thing about uh, most kids who do have a mentor, you know, they break the cycle. They break the cycle of poverty. They break the cycle of, you know, crime, of drug and alcohol use. You know, a lot of them go off to graduate and, and become functioning members of the community. And right. that's amazing when you can take somebody who was never expected to even graduate from high school and see them go off, graduate to college, and get masters and doctorates. It, that's just an amazing thing to see. And that's, that's like a very real thing mm-hmm. that a volunteer, like a big, can see the impact of you know their the hours that they put yeah. into it. You know, and a lot of times when you ask successful people, you know, that person in their life that that changed it, they've got a story for you. Mm-hmm. This person put me on the right track or this person taught me how to do this and that's why I'm here today. You know, whether it be a youth minister or a coach or a teacher or a family member or a parent or a a family friend or maybe even a a bigger, little or mentor, you know, there's always that one person in their life that that directed them where they needed to go to become successful. Okay, and I I know that, um, you know, you you still kind of keep your toes in the water of, of the radio world uh, with the chat. Oh my God. You tell know, me, tell me about that gig. Once you get, it gets in your blood, it's kind of hard to get out because I, I like to, to tell people um, I have a job I love and I have a job I have a passion for. Okay. Radio. I love radio. I will always love radio and I have a passion for big brothers, big sisters. So I get to do both. But um Last summer, um, I was approached uh, about maybe covering a, a few shifts on on a radio station, actually KGNC FM, mm-hmm. and I was like, heck yeah, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm going to jump at the chance to do some of that. And then uh, the more I got into it, they're like, would you be interested in maybe doing a morning show? And I'm like, what kind of morning show? Yeah. Well, it's on the, the news station, and I'm like, excuse me? Because news, I never did news. Yeah. I never wanted yeah. to do news. I was like, I don't know anything about politics. I don't know anything about city stuff. I'm like, are you sure about that? Oh, you're just talking. You're chatting. You're having conversations with people. I'm like, well, I can do that. And it just kind of uh, evolved into that. And they're like, we want you to come try it out. And I was like, okay. And I fell in love with it because it's, again, we're just having conversations with people. Right. So. And it's, I mean, it, in that format, like, it's good to have a, a female perspective. Yeah. It's good to have a woman's voice in, in the mix there. <laughs> David and Chuck certainly can hold down a show by themselves. Yes. Um, but like the the host diversity 
and the diversity of opinions, like that's an important thing for a good program. But and I've learned from it. You know, I've learned a lot about Amarillo and how our city works and a lot about politics. I probably never wanted to learn, mm-hmm. but I know now. So does it does it change your perspective being exposed to those conversations and to some of the the people who care about stuff like that? Mm-hmm. I mean, does does that make you see the city a little bit differently? Yeah. Because, you know, I, being able to hear hear things um, and, and a lot of time from from the people that do make the decisions, you're like, well, I didn't know that. Oh, well, not me, how did, people don't know this. They need to know this. Because yeah. if they knew this, there wouldn't be so much. That wasn't on the Facebook post I read. Yeah, right. Because, you know, you've got your keyboard warriors that are like, oh, my gosh, blah, blah. And they're like, that didn't even happen. What are you talking about? So it's kind of nice to be in there and knowing what's going on with your city and being able to ask questions like, Okay, so tell me about this. This seems kind of weird. Can you explain it? And you get your explanations. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. So you are, you know, 20, 25 years um, into living in Amarillo, working in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Um, two different careers, very different careers. Yes. I mean, do, do you, when you look back at like your your career path and your journey, like does it does it make sense to you? Does it feel like a bunch of happy accidents? I mean, what? how do you look back on? I think I, I was put into the career I needed to be in and plucked out when it wasn't fun anymore. Okay. And then put into another, I could make a difference. And then now it's fun again. Yeah. And so I get to do both and you know, it's exhausting and it's tiring, but it's fulfilling. This episode is also sponsored by the WT Enterprise Center. For 20 years now, the WT Enterprise Center has been helping local entrepreneurs create and grow their businesses. Amarillo is an amazing place to start a business. I would know, I've done that. And the Enterprise Center is at the heart of it. They've created a vibrant collaborative ecosystem where startup and existing companies can emerge, can grow, can move to the next level. Companies from Sage Oilvac and Altura Engineering Design to Blue Sage Pottery have been clients at one point or another, working with the WT Enterprise Center to take their businesses to the next level. So if you and your business need help with things like funding or marketing or your business model or HR, the experts at the Enterprise Center can help coach you through every step in the process and connect you with the right resources to address those problems and to grow your business. Learn more at WTEnterpriseCenter.com. Okay, I'm back with Lori Crawford of Big Brothers Big Sisters. Lori, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least eight fossils that reveal the Panhandle was once a swampy rainforest, including a 10-foot-long Harlan's ground sloth that was discovered in Briscoe County. So 10-foot sloths in the Panhandle. Seems like fun. Um, I bet you they were slow. I bet they were. (laughs) Um, But cool. People love sloths, so... I don't know if they love the 10 foot long ones, but there you go. Yeah. Can you imagine one hugging you? It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a big hug. Uh, learn more at panhandleplanes.org. Okay. Eight straight. First question I've, uh, I've asked most of my guests recently. And what's one thing the pandemic or 2020 now into 2021 uh, has revealed to you about local people? That no matter what they're going through, they're willing to reach out and give a helping hand to somebody who needs it. Okay. Did you see that personally? Did you see that through Big Brothers Big Sisters? I mean, was that kind of a uh, universal thing? Just just kind of watching watching people, you know, um, somebody needed food and couldn't get it, you know, they'd go and get it for them and leave it on their porch. Hmm. 
you know, it, it just, or somebody couldn't afford food. I'm going to take care of you. We're going to get you taken care of. You know, your baby's not going to go without formula. Just the giving hearts around there or people making masks for free Yeah, and giving them away for free. I mean, come on. That's the thing about Amarello is we have a way of coming together and taking care of each other. Even when it seems like we're at each other's throats, we're like, we're like siblings. Okay. When we need to come together, this city comes together. What does this area have too much of? Right now, it's the crime, and that breaks my heart. All right. I, I, you know, and I, I don't know if it's because we're getting bigger or, you know, if, again, we need to make sure our kids are, because it starts in the home. You know, we need to make sure our kids are on the right path and they know right from wrong. And, and you know, I think that's that's the first step in, in stopping a lot of that. And that's not even an Amarillo story right now. I mean, it's a, no, it's a it's national story. And... I haven't heard any really good explanations as to why. Yeah. And, and it could be because I see this every morning when I walk in into the radio station. Oh, another shooting or yeah. another break in or, you know, and, and that can take its. And I know a lot of people are tired of it, but it just seems like it's just a constant everyday basis. And I could stop. Yeah. <laughs> if, if we could, we would. What does this area not have enough of? I'd like to say trees. Yeah. <laughs> And what's funny is if you've ever been on the top floor of A and B Plaza One and that yeah. big, and you look out those windows, you're like, oh my gosh, there's trees everywhere. And, and you don't, unless you're up that high, you don't see them a lot of times. But I was like, all downtown, it's just trees It's everywhere. a sea of green. I, I've, I've talked to some uh, arbor, arborologists, mm -hmm. you know, who have made this their their work and they talk about Amarillo as an urban forest. Like that's, that's the term for yeah. it, which is really interesting to think of. But then, yeah, when you look at it from above, it is this cluster of, of forests with some houses, you mm -hmm. know, kind of in the mix, uh, which is an interesting way to think about it. But yeah, those trees are only here because we've planted them right. and we've cultivated them. Uh, they, they don't always grow naturally here. Exactly. Especially when you're driving around and seeing all the farmland, you know, on the yeah. outsides of towns and in our smaller towns are just like, it's just so flat. There needs more trees. And then you see that lone tree just trying to survive yeah. out there in the middle of nothing. <laughs> I always feel a real kinship with that tree. I yeah. want it to succeed. Like, oh, it needs a hug. How do, you, how do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? You know, we're not a huge city like, you know, Dallas, Fort Worth all those, but we're a big city with a small town feel because we are, I mean, it, it's, it's a hometown, you know, it's like, I grew up in Hereford, you know, and that's, it was a city of 15,000. I don't even know if there's that many there now, but when I moved to Amarillo, it's just like I moved to an extension. It was a little bit bigger, but the people were still the same, hmm. still loving, still caring, still Amarillans, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's the panhandle. Okay. I think a lot of the Panhandle people were, we kind of come from the same backgrounds and, and we're just a, you know, have no problem waving at somebody or smiling at them or saying, hey, how you doing? What's your favorite street in Amarillo? Everybody probably says this, but Polk Street, because think of all the memories that get made on that street. You know, I remember taking my son to the electric light parade for the first time. Wow, okay. Yeah, it was probably on a float with radio station, but yeah. the way he lit up at all the lights, it was just amazing. Or seeing those cattle go down that street for the first time, or, you know, uh, first dates on Polk Street at some of the amazing restaurants and, and even bars down there. You know, it, memories are made on that street, whether 
you know, you've, you've been here two years or you've been here, you know, 50. Somebody's got a memory of Polk Street that, that sticks in their brain. What's your favorite local restaurant? Oh, do, oh my gosh. I, I don't have a favorite. I have many favorites, okay. and they're all Mexican food. So. Okay. <laughs> How, okay, here's a question, because I, I think you're like a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's great Mexican food restaurants, great Tex-Mex. How do you choose which one you're going to go to? Does it depend on what you're wanting? Yes. Because, like, say I want the best carne gusada in town, La Frontera. Okay. You know, or if I uh, want some good chili verde, I love it. I love it from Jorge's. Or, you know, every now and then you just want the plaza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm trying to think. Um, and there's a few. Or, or you're like, oh, I haven't eaten there in a while. So you pop into La Fiesta. And there's some hidden gems I haven't tried yet that Absolutely I need to go for. And that's another thing. You never know. There are some restaurants that have been here for years and decades that I've never even heard of. And I'm like, oh, got to go try it. Yeah. And, and those are restaurants that are, there's, there's one story where a restaurant becomes very popular mm-hmm. and then it builds a bigger one or it moves to another place and it gets even bigger and then it you know puts in a Lubbock location or something yeah. like that. And then there are other restaurants that are very popular and they just keep doing what they're mm-hmm. doing in the same place. I and there's think, something to be said for that. I, when a lot of them get bigger, they, they're not the same. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, because there's a couple here that I've eaten at, in Lubbock, and I'm like, oh, that's not the same. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm just going to yeah. eat it at home. <laughs> What's your favorite local coffee shop? Uh, I, I go to Cliffside okay. quite a bit because you know, it's by work, and, and well, they're, both their locations used to be by the office, so it was always easy. Just to push, and they're employees. Oh, my goodness. Always smiling, always asking how your day are. And, you know, once they get to know you, they're like, oh, you want this, right? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, and Cliffside is just, it's its a really successful rapid growth story. Yes. You know, because it's only been the last four or five years, yeah. maybe, that another seemed to have places all over the Oh, the and city. I was heartbroken when they, they moved from the Tecla location because mm-hmm. that was just right there. And I'm like, now I have to go all the way up to 34th and over, but hey. <laughs> and uh, when was the last time you visited the Big Texan? Uh, Mother's Day. Oh, and I so say this that. Year. Yes, you know, I have. I like to say I have an angsty teen. <laughs> My son forgot Mother's Day, so a dear friend of mine said, "Hey, I'm going to take you out to eat." And I'm like, "Oh, thank you." So he and I, he's like, "You know where we're going?" And I'm like, "I was like, just pulled out, you know, Mexican." Food. I was like, "What are we going to Jorge's?" He's like, "No." And then he drove me out to the Big Texan, and I'm like. Oh heck yeah! Yeah, <laughs> is it uh, is it a place you've eaten more uh, you know, than a few times? I've like, probably it... eaten there, you know, less than ten times, you know, okay. growing up around here or whatever. But it sounds about right for know, local. I yeah. Think. So, and when you bring people into town and they're like, "Well, you, you know, you can take them to the spots." Like, you definitely have to take them Golden Light and then Coyote Bluff, and mm-hmm. and if they want to go out to the Big Texan, heck yeah, let's go out to the Big Texan. So. Especially if they've never had calf fries before. Yeah, best calf fries yeah. in the city, maybe the state. I don't know. That's I haven't tried all stuff. of them. But. Okay, so Lori, that concludes our eight straight questions. Um, I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Well, I mean, I know we've talked a lot about big brothers, big sisters, but if you've never been a mentor and you've never experienced being a mentor, don't not do it because you don't think you're capable of it. Okay. Because you do have something to offer. You do. I mean, everything you've learned in your lifetime, all the trials and tribulations you've been through, 
there's a kid out there that's been through those exact same things and they don't know how to get through it. And you've gotten through it, so you can help them do that. And, and the thing about it is, yeah, you may change their lives, but they're going to change yours. Hmm. And it's going to be for the better. And you'll find yourself growing as well. So. Okay. Lori Crawford, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having it. me. This was fun. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Lori for the interview. You can learn more about Big Brothers Big Sisters at panhandlebigs.org. And thanks, as always, to Angelina Marie for editing this week's episode, including my voiceover stuff, which I did a terrible job on. So many mistakes. Sorry about that, Angelina. Uh, Also, I want to say thanks to this week's sponsors, NCW and the WT Enterprise Center, as well as to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring eight straight every week. This podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially. I really appreciate these people through patreon.com slash Hey Amarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Chris Zelda, Jess Heredia, Katie Linger, Barbara and Jim Witten, Patrick Burns, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Wilson Lemieux, and Wes Reeves. This has been episode 212. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.